Today on Vulnerable, I have actress Susie Abramite. She is a really wonderful person. I had a great chat with her. I feel like we've admired each other from afar. And this is a conversation that truly has sparked a friendship that I look forward to getting deeper and deeper in. Um, she's a really great gal. And she has a really amazing story about resilience and what it means to be part of a highly competitive family and what that will do to help you get through the minefields of Hollywood. Let's take a listen on Vulnerable. I'm Christy Carlson Romano, and this is The Vulnerable Podcast. Susie! Susie! Oh my God! It's been so many years. It's been too I long. I love you. Like, I miss you. I, Aww. man, I, like, I just honestly, like, the algorithm knows that, like, I love you. So <laughs> it just, like, I suddenly was just getting all your podcasts, Ooh. and I was like, hell yeah! yeah. I want to Oh my God. Yay. Oh, wow. That's, I'm very touched by that. Okay. So we first met through, uh, no, I actually think we met otherwise, but Alona was also a person. One of my best friends. Right? Just saw her yesterday. Oh, good. Yeah. I hope she's yeah. well. I hope yeah. her and the baby and Marcos are all well. Yes. Um, Alona great. Tall, amazing actress. And that girl is just like you working all the time. <laughs> I love it. And here's the thing about when you see your friends succeed in the business it is just so exciting. And Susie, you're one of those people too for me that I'm really invested in your success and happiness. <laughs> really? Yeah, I don't I, Yeah, and that's why I'm happy to have you on because I wanted to tell you that face to face that I'm so flattered. I don't know what to say. Like I saw I saw you recently in the trades with all these big wins and stuff and like I had to like comment on you because and, and I think I even DM'd you and I was like, congratulations. Like, this is amazing. And Oh my God. I love that. Honestly, really. I've been like a secret silent fan of yours like all these years because I was just like, I know I we mean, don't like, get to see each other a lot, but like we're friends. That's true. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's, it's like I've been, I've been a fan. Like this is like when I was just like just starting out and like I think like you followed me or, or like on something on Facebook and I just thought you were so cool. I was like, oh my God. And you were crushing it. And I was just like, Oh my God, she wants to be my friend, the cool kid. Oh my, oh my God, God, seriously? Oh my God. When was I crushing it? Oh my God. Isn't it interesting though, like the concept of like crushing it and like what we all perceive that to be in terms of like winning and and like, yeah, because like I think as we get older, especially as women in the entertainment industry, what crushing it can be and what it actually is on the inside can change. And so like what I loved about yeah. sort of reading up on your background was how you came to the industry and how that that isn't what people might think. Like I, I think people think of actresses and they're like, yeah, they just came from anywhere USA and, you know, they're pretty and, and friendly and so they make it and, you know, and all that stuff. But it's like, no, it's a lot more than that <laughs> yeah you know what I mean like yeah. that's actually that's actually it is a total mindfield a lot of times and mm -hmm. the anywhere USA like model type girls aren't having successful careers you know like yours that are like over the span now of decades because I want to say that we've known each other from even before I am old <laughs> no you're not <laughs> 
Decades upon you know what? decades. That's what, yeah, you start to be like veteran and you're like, I'm not over here. Bitch, move over. I'll tell you a story that will make your head spin. I work for every kind of studio in this town. Yeah, I mean, it gets to that, that point, right? Yeah. And like, I knew you from when Alona and I were initially hanging out. Yeah. I mean, how long have you known Alona for? So the crazy story, she's one of the first people I ever met out in LA. So we were testing against each other for this little show called Glee. (laughs) And, And so like, this was my very first audition. I mean, this was... So I had I had worked a lot in Miami. I booked like like a small role in like a big film mm-hmm. or like a reoccurring or a guest star like on like Burn Notice. So I feel like I was like, okay, it's make it or break it time. Yeah. So I was kind of feeling like it's time to go to L.A. Mm-hmm. And so I get a call from my agent. She was like, yeah, there's this show about singing and dancing and you do that. And, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, and so I was like, okay, it's make it or break it time. Like. If if I like I was just like I have to get a call back. Like if I don't like if I don't get a call back, LA's off the table and I should just stay in Miami. Like I don't know why that it was such a fatalist way of looking at it, but it just felt You've like, done a lot of singing? Yeah. I had a music career. Oh, hell, I, God. Uh, I had like songs on the radio. Okay. I had a song that I no. suck as a podcast host, apparently. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. And so, like, I actually auditioned for the, the search for the next pussycat doll, and mm-hmm. I was chosen. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the contract, and it's like, we will own your life. Just sell your soul here. Blah, 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 to blah, you, blah. yeah. I was like, sell no. your soul to them and Jimmy Iovine. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so legitimately, it like, it, it basically said that even if you don't book it, you're not allowed to do anything in the entertainment. And I was making money at this point, yeah. and that was my livelihood. Yeah. And they're like, you can't work for the next year. And I was like, you're crazy. Like, that can't – like, so they didn't, they wouldn't negotiate on that. So I spent, like, $2,000 on this lawyer just to, like, get out of a contract. I was like, oh I didn't even sign anything. Anyway. So I was like, okay, it's make it or break a time. So uh, she was like, yeah, it's a pre-read, but you should go out there. And I – you know, get a hotel and a rental car wow. and the whole thing. Wow. And I'm like late. I like miss the audition because I didn't understand about LA traffic. Right. So there was like a whole out. So no idea about it. And I was like, oh my God. And so they rescheduled for the next day and everything was fine. And so I went in and literally I'm thinking like, oh my God, just bracing myself for, do you like me? Is this okay? Is this? And they're like, okay, great. We're going to you call you back. And I was like, seriously? So then I was reading for producers uh-huh. and I was ad-libbing and just being like a wild crit. So in front of Ryan Murphy, I was just like ad-libbing here and there because I didn't know who these people were. Right. I had no idea. And here I am just like taking like <laughs> the, taking ownership of this character because there wasn't a lot to do with. Which so character was like, it? It was uh, Quinn. Okay. Quinn is yeah. the cheerleader? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So I'm ad living and doing this whole thing, and then they're like, "We love it." They're like, "I'm bringing down the house." Oh, I love and I'm that like, feeling. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. I'm not trying to make them laugh. I'm just like being ridiculous and just going for it full blast. Yeah. But like, I would take my shoes off when I would sing because I was just like so nervous. <laughs> like, I don't know why it was so like eccentric and they loved it and so then like they're like okay we're gonna do a test we're gonna test you and I was like test what the hell is a test (laughs) and so I didn't know what a test is so then we I went in front of the studio and they're like we love her and and then I had to test again and that's when I think I met alone and you were like oh shit (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So it's like there's four other girls. Yeah. Like, we still talk about this. So it's the four of us. 
So me and Alona, so immediately she's like, she says she's Israeli and I had Israeli friends. And so I was like, Manishma. And so we started talking because <laughs> the other girls were just really angry and kind of like looking at me and like, oh my God, shut up. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I love that. I love that. Yeah, you had that raw. And obviously Alona is like a no bullshit kind of girl too. So I get that. Okay. Yeah. So there's like an immediate like connection. We immediately just started ch- chatting. Yeah. And yeah. we were just like so happy. I was just so happy happy to be there and I was just like wow this is crazy you know just anywhere USA kind of mentality (laughs) (laughs) and so they call me in so I'm the first one out of the group to go in and then um like they they said everyone goes in like Alona's is after me and then they call us back again and only pick me and Alona. Oh. So we're like, oh, bitch, whoa, we almost got it. It's going to be one of us. It turns out the room was split between me and Alona from what I heard from my reps. Um, so, so the room was split between the two of us. They could not decide. They were like, and then they finally were like, ah, fuck it. Let's try to find someone else. And that's when they found Diagon. But it was literally split between us. So like, I think they were leaning towards Alona. It wasn't going in my favor from what I remember. (laughs) They held on to Alona a little bit longer. That's amazing. Okay, that's amazing. Okay, so I want to go back even farther, though. And so I love knowing about Miami, and I love knowing about Slow Your Roll featuring Fat Joe, which I will now be jamming to as soon as we're done with this. Okay. Anybody who has a Fat Joe, what did he used to say? Something the dawn. He used to go, Joe, crack the dawn. Yes! That's what he was saying. What did that he even mean? He does. Yes. Okay, good to know. Good to he know. Oh. <laughs> All right, so let's talk tennis. Let's talk like work ethic and like how badass that made you into. I mean, like I was floored at the fact, even without knowing you were a superstar singer, that you were at um, Duke and you were varsity tennis. And I mean, that's crazy. You used to like, it said in an interview recently that you like used to play tennis until your fingers bled. I mean, yeah, no. I how did that all happen? I know you said that your dad was, and your dad and your mom were like pretty much semi-pro skiers, or like no, my mom, my mom's just very like, ooh, I'm a ski bunny. I mean, she's like a good <laughs> skier, but she, uh, I mean, she's skiing still well into her seventies. My dad was like a world class ski racer, mm-hmm. so he wasn't pro okay. per se but I, this is sort of like he started in the 70s where it was sort of like I don't know wooden skis oh and, my gosh you know, wow he was one of those people that would like climb up the mountain but what he would do uh he would do the opening runs for the U.S. ski team like well into his 50s wow. so he was just a badass yeah like so he was kind of, like he won trips to Europe for winning ski races. He won a Jeep yeah. for uh like winning a ski race. So he wasn't like he wasn't like on the US ski team, but he was like adjacent to, mm-hmm. I wanna say. Mm-hmm. And he he was a world class athlete. Um That's awesome. He either won the World Cup in rowing or the group like like him and his team did together. Mm-hmm. Or like either it was like rowing first too? or second in the world. Wow. Yeah. So I think rowing was really his thing. Oh wow. Um, okay, cool. What was he like essentially? Was he sort of always encouraging you to be an athletic person or Yeah, I don't think he really cared, but I think he was he was so God, he was so good. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. At like understanding like what it is to be an athlete. So mm-hmm. I think he never like put any pressure on me. That's cool. He was a super laconic, like really sweet, just like gentle human. That's awesome. You know, who was just kind of very quiet yeah. and kind of nerdy and, <laughs> you know, and I'm the opposite. <laughs> so He's like, my, mom, my mom's Italian. Ah, there you yeah. go. He's German. There you go. I'm Italian. So or, we are Lithuanian. Paisans. So you're Lithuanian and Italian? Um, yeah. My dad's family came from East Prussia and Lithuania. And so, which I think the borders now kind of check out is uh, German. Okay. So I think like, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Wait. You're like kind of like me. You're German and Italian. I'm German and Italian. That's really crazy. Yeah. So we're sisters, yeah. basically. Totally. That's what it is. We're sisters. Totally. Yep, I get that. So my dad's <laughs> lineage, which is really interesting, he, uh, like, as a child during World War II, his family, like, they had moved to New Jersey. There's a whole the, – the whole backstory is really interesting. So my grandmother was, like, supposed to be betrothed to, like, someone else in another village, and she was like, I don't want to marry that guy. Mm. And so the man that she loved, Richard Abermite, who's also my dad's name um, as well, but uh, he was like, hey, come to America. Like, I love you and would write letters and be like – and so she shunned the family and left for love (gasps) to America. And so I found this – like kind of all this stuff out by like doing Ancestry.com and – you know, finding out, like, just, like, getting linked up to, like, other cousins and, like, who I didn't know on 23andMe of, like, hey, I think I know you. And so we, like, chatted of all these, like, war stories. Anyway, so they're living in, like, New Jersey yeah. and then they want to show off the uh, their baby and they're like, I miss my family. Let's go back. Even though we said we shunned, we took her, you know, kind of like, no, I want to marry Richard. <laughs> so, so they go back. And Richard's, I think, like maybe two at this point. Mm-hmm. And they go back in 1939. Oh, boy. Two months before the invasion of Poland. Oh, so no. now they're stuck. They could have stayed and, like, in Jersey. <laughs> I know. They could have. But they didn't. Okay. <laughs> and so and so now they're stuck. And now I think uh, it was either the Nazis or the Russians took their farm. Oh, man. And so then they were... Ch- trying to like cross the border to Poland to be like, hi, I'm American citizens, oh. like blah, blah, And then they get put on cattle cars and they're put into a concentration camp, like a, like a work farm camp. This is I your grandmother. This is your grandmother and your grandfather. My dad. Your dad. What? What? My dad who was seven. Yeah. My dad who was seven. They were put into like a work. Okay. I think it was a Russian camp. Okay. You know, and basically he saw the worst atrocious, you know, like people murdered. And like, Did your dad have a Holocaust tattoo? No. Okay. No, he, he, he didn't. This, I guess. It's a different kind of yeah, work I, camp that he was in then. Right? But it's still, I mean, it was like, yeah, I forget the work farm. There's okay. a collective farm. Okay. Is what they called it. Okay. Is what he said. Mm. But from what it sounded like, it just sounded like any other the stories that he would tell like when the guards would start shooting people and getting drunk and killing people uh his mom would hide him under like a bunch of blankets so and then they would like do whatever to her you like oh my god so it's like i was gonna say this would make a good hallmark movie but that's just the first act (laughs) i don't think the third and the second and third act would make a good but man what an interesting life your dad led though i mean 
when did he, right. when did so he, he, oh my God, please keep talking. Please don't let no, me. No, no. So he taught himself like math and he taught himself like during the war. And so bombs are going off. So he, I guess by this point he was starving and, you know, he, he couldn't look at old photos of himself because he was so skinny. Mm. He was like, he hated them. Mm. I mean, he's passed now, but like, yeah, it was really painful for him to ever think about it or go back there. But when he was dying, I think a lot of his story started, you know, kind of, like we had no idea he was like in a collective farm oh, work camp. Really? Until he's none started. of our family members. Mm. This was, well, he's part of the silent generation. So they just didn't talk about it mm. until I was interviewing him for like a Duke University project about, it was called uh, My Life Hyphenated. And so here I was being like, what's it like to be German mm-hmm. and American? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden the floodgates of like everything start coming out. Oh my gosh. It's wild. And so, yeah, so he taught himself math. And then, like, he was, like, so far advanced, I guess, when he came over here. He didn't speak any English, but he got, like, a scholarship to, like, a tech school. And from there, he just went to Harvard Business School, applied to one school, and, like, that was it, and then got in. And so my dad is, like, it doesn't make any sense because they literally came from just the shirts on their back, like, post-war, you know. Yeah. It's pretty extraordinary, like, what he was able to do, like, with – so little American you know? dream. It's that's what people. Ca- yeah, the American dream exists in in application. And I mean, it's interesting too when you think about that silent generation that you're talking about and how that puts that American dream in perspective and that whole concept, right? Where it's like I've seen the worst of the worst. Yeah. What I have here is this this safety and uh, this opportunity and. And an ability to start a family. So when did he start um, skiing then? Like, when did that happen? Had he been skiing in Europe or? Yeah, like, I think it was like his, uh, I think he, he like, skied all over, like, Montana and Wyoming. But he, like, in his 20s, I think it was like he just became, like, after. He picked it up later. Yeah, he. so he was, like, a ski bum. So that's kind of why. You know, like post, he's like, I don't know what I want to do. And then like, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. This was like That's skiing right. the whole time. He would climb up a mountain and like ski down it, you know, whether or not like yeah. if there was um, a chairlift was working or not. It didn't matter. I mean, that was just my dad. It would be, I mean, we, I remember being a kid and, you know, being like 10 years old and, you know, my dad had me on skis when I was two and I was like competitive ski racer and I was ranked. Okay. Like, uh-huh. So it was cold, right? So I was sort of like, I don't want to go. I just want to watch cartoons. Like, why are you doing this? It's, it's six in the morning on a Saturday. <laughs> He's like, I learned math, okay? <laughs> From under a floorboard, you're going to get up and ski on this beautiful mountainside, okay? <laughs> yes. You have no, to laugh. I mean, you do. Wow, yeah. I feel like a horrible person. Like, as a child, you're yeah, not. No, no. You're not. You're so. <laughs> No, but I remember, like, we would be, like, doing, like, ab workouts at, like, 6 in the morning on a Saturday. And I'm like, I hate you. Why are you making me do this? I hate you so much. We're going to go out and freeze our asses off in 10 degrees. I hate you even more. Your abs are probably so gorgeous because I I remember being, like, in dance and we did a lot of that ab stuff. (laughs) <laughs> not right now after the holidays of like traveling i'm like that muscle it's there it's there when you do that that young it imprints upon your body and okay. that's why it's hard we, it's you know like what i'm saying like, i'm hoping because <laughs> i've had two kids and i haven't worked out in a few years so i'm still trying to hope that maybe if i take a couple yoga classes <laughs> I'll, I'll find the abs someday but okay so 
your dad's amazing. Obviously, your mom is amazing. You said she's kind of a ski bunny, but like, how did they meet? Like, what's their love story? Oh, man. I'm very um, interested. <laughs> so she was previously married to another wonderful guy who had my sister. Mm-hmm. And his name was uh, Bob. And he, uh, yeah, he had a heart attack and died. Oh. Like when my sister was only like five, he just oh. had a heart murmur. Okay. And what was crazy was that she lost her dad like a month before her wedding to that husband. So it was like oh. trauma, trauma, trauma. It was like boom, boom, boom. Oof. And wild. So she, yeah, she was like, I have a five-year-old. I don't yeah. know what to do. So yeah. like, she was just introduced. He went through a divorce and mm-hmm. – they just met. They were like all kind of like they knew each other from this like friend circle, but then they okay. just like kind of really hit it off. Okay. And then I think she was like, they were at like Nantucket and she's like, I just want to like just smoke some weed and just forget about life right now. <laughs> and so like she was high. <laughs> she probably would hate me saying this, but it's legal. Was high. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's legal. legal. So it's fine. Yeah. So she was high the entire time, like, and he just thought he she was so hilarious. <laughs> so he's like, I love her, which is adorable. It's adorable. But my dad is like the he was like the most straight laced person. I mean, the nerdiest you you know. Yeah. And so they got together, and then um, yeah, and then like I think like a lot of just her family members just died one after the Jesus. other. Like her mom like died like a few years later. Like it, it was a lot. Like my mom's gone through like, but she is one of the like both my uh, parents were just one of the most resilient people. Mm-hmm. You've seen that, yeah, and you saw their love kind of for each other too. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. trauma bonds are real, by the way. Like trauma. I'm saying, like, <laughs> yeah. when I met my husband, I think I was at one of my lowest points. And he had, you know, been in the military, you know, deployed and whatnot. And so it's one of those things where like I, I, I do think that trauma bonds serve certain relationships, but sometimes they can be lightning in a bottle because if you don't meet the right person at the right time or the window of time, that trauma can become very toxic. I'm just having flashbacks <laughs> to all my relationships right now. Okay, okay. So there's so much, right? There's like so much to unpack with that. But what I love the most, I think, is that you know intimately that your parents were human beings and that yeah. they had a life and that you were part of that, like the amazing part of that. And I've got to say that like, if you've inherited their resilience and their work ethic, that that must have helped inform, you know, not only your your tennis career, but then what you've now managed to, you know, forge with it makes sense it it completely makes sense i mean the amount of like resilience you need just for this business i mean yeah i mean in life in general it's like i i've definitely i'll write a book one day and you'll be like what motherfucker (laughs) i can't wait i will read it like it's it's a wild hero's journey okay Um, i'm like shit where do we start okay i'm like (laughs) taking it all sideways did you guys live in Miami or were why were you in Miami and when did you become a little pop star? I know in sophomore year of college, you decided you were like, dad, did you tell your dad you're like, I'm done doing tennis? Was he reactive to that? Or, you know, I think you. 
It was more of the conversation with my mom because mm-hmm. um, I think like she like she was a guidance counselor. So I think she really wanted me to have all the opportunities that, you know, she didn't get. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I moved to Miami when I was 12. Okay. Uh, so I was like, so I was recruited by Andy Roddick's coach. Uh-huh. Um, and so we were we were friends growing up. And so I was playing this tournament and. Uh, yeah, this guy who's South African, you know, was like, he recruited, he's like, oh, she's, you know, she, she really has something and what, and that's like a terrible, I thought it was really good. (laughs) So, so like, so basically I get recruited and I, you know, my mom was like, you're not going. And we get to this like whole fight. And I just remember being a really willful child (laughs) and just being like, this was the only way I felt like that I could make it, you know, in order to like be where I wanted to be. Cause I was, I was number one in New England at the time. Wow. And I just felt like where we were at wasn't the healthiest mm-hmm. like place, like my family. And so just, I, I think I rebelled a lot. Like we just, you know, there was, there was things that I was like, mm, this could have been handled better mm-hmm. or that could have, and I clearly could have like handled things better as well, but I was like a 12 year old. I mean, so it's like, yeah. How do I, was it, how do I communicate right. things? Was it surrounding like the tennis career and like the young competitive? Yeah, no, it was surrounding the tennis career. And so I just rebelled and I was just like, I'm going to make your life a living hell until this happens, <laughs> until I get to move away and find a new family. Man. Oh, man, it's hard. Yeah. And so I, I I did that. So then I, you know, finally they're like, oh, fine. And then I had like wonderful coaches mm, and good. I was living there for like a couple years until like weirdly the universe united us again because uh, my dad's job got transferred to all the places in the world, Boca Raton, Florida, which is exactly where I was at, which is bizarre. Fascinating. Yeah. Cool. Totally. Strange. So they infringed upon your life one once more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I guess like I... I was very like when when I saw Serena and Venus when they would declare something and say I'm going to do this they would oh. and I, so I started to model that like I, I was like there's something that they're doing so I'm going to do the same thing okay and, and you're so talking I'll about like seeing them, them like like in your actual life like you knew them right when they were coming up like I met them like a few times mm-hmm. um, they were a bit older and they were like obviously they were playing like pro at you know, 12 and 13. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I was like still playing juniors. Mm-hmm. I was like top as a junior, but I wasn't, I haven't, I hadn't quite graduated from that yet. Okay. But, um, and so, and so I declared I was going to go to Duke university on a full scholarship and be like top in the country. I was going to get, I was going to be top 10 in the country and sponsored by Nike. And then literally all those things happen. I literally like declared it. And to this day, like, my sister's friend, who was like a big tennis player, she was like top ranked and she'll never forget it. She always like comes up to me and she's like, I can't believe when you were 12 that you knew you're going to go to Duke and blah, 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 blah. That's amazing. So, so declaring something like to the universe or something saying that this is going to happen. But then as you're like going through it, I literally like there was so much pressure on me and I, a lot of it I did to myself. Mm-hmm. Of just like, I want the world to fall apart if I don't get like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it was like, it was so melodramatic yeah. as like a 12 year old. Like I just, you know. Wow. 12 is, I was like, I'd rather really die important. than not achieve that. So what happened then? So when you were at Duke, what happened that made you want to get into the, the movie business? So I was also an artist at like five. Okay. So I was like drawing and painting okay. and my mom and teachers would always encourage that. Mm-hmm. I didn't see any value because the people around me always said that 
that's not going to amount to anything. Right. That's a nice hobby, but like that you can't, that's not going to be a career for you. Right. And even though like all my like, um, yeah, I just remember my art teacher being like, no, you're an athlete and you're an artist. Like, it's great. Continue <laughs> doing this. You know, so, um, and so my mom put me in the acting camp when like acting, like, but it was like a art camp mm -hmm. where it's like painting and drawing and pottery and building sets and acting That's and awesome. improv. Like, it was one of the most, I mean, they just shut it down, which is like after the pandemic oh, and it's, it was, it was one of my favorite places. And this is where like me and Chris Evans, I think we went at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's actually where I got to do like skits and be on stage, and I just immediately was like, "This is what I want to do." This I mean, it's terrifying, mm -hmm. but I was like, "I've arrived!" And so, but I and so I was nine. So then I would like audition for the play, and I literally was just talking to. So funny. This is so full circle. <laughs> so I was reconnecting um, with a lovely friend from childhood, and she was always Mrs. Popular. Like she was always like the popular mm -hmm. kid. And so we reconnected. She's like, I just saw your whole, like your Christmas movie and I loved mm. it. And she's like, it meant so much to my mom as she was dying. Oh, like, oh my, my God. Like it was so, yeah. She's like, it, it like she, she was losing, you know, her, her mind. Like she, she wasn't there anymore. Mm. But like the minute I would put your movie on, she would suddenly wake up and go, Susie. Oh my like, gosh. Wow. It's so like somehow like it, it, wild. Yeah. And so she's like, you don't understand like what this meant for me I'm and sure. like my mom. And I mean, it was so overwhelming. And she's like, yeah, she's like, I remember this moment when you were auditioning for this play and no one knew that you could sing and how like, you know, and so I did this whole thing. We were all in shock and I loved acting and I loved the arts. And it was sort of that like brave moment of like, this is going to suck and everyone's going to laugh at me. And so, like, having yeah. that moment where, like, that's the moment she remembered because, like, I remembered it because it was really, like, a pivotal yeah. moment in my life of, like, people being like, whoa. And then I had to, like, turn down. I couldn't go any further with, like, the callbacks mm -hmm. or anything because mm -hmm. of tennis. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so that was, like, that was a really, like, yeah. really cool full circle moment. But, yeah, my mom mm -hmm. would always put me that's in this, like, yeah, these, like, um, like a Macy's Be a Star and I would win it, but then I'd have to turn it down. <laughs> Because of tennis, because the coaches would be like, what are you doing? Yeah, that must have been hard for your mom, too, because she was, like, trying yeah. to give you that experience. It was honestly, like, because it's actually what I really, really wanted to do. And then right. it was sort of this other moment in my life where um, I it, I was, like, down at this uh, – at Everett Tennis Camp. Okay. And there was, like, a skit day. Mm -hmm. And and so my thing was, like, imitating all the other players mm – -hmm. And like I brought down the house with like there there was there was a player there and we were friends but she was kind of having a moment she was always really dramatic and crazy and <laughs> and so I was imitating her and like the coaches lost their mind and these are the coaches who are like don't like stop wasting your time with this nonsense like stop like you know you should be a pro you should be doing this yeah. this coach pulls me aside and was like Susie what are you doing. Like, you need to be an actor. He's like, screw tennis. Wow. I don't care. Like, That's huge. So that was when I was like, oh, I maybe I can actually do this. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started, like, going to classes and studying it. And then before I went to uh, I went to college, that's when I was, like, doing music. Mm. Like, I was having songs on the radio when I was 18. Amazing. And it was, like, all this wild. wild that's thing. wild. No, that's like, that's a whole chapter. So then you decided that you wanted to do like music first and not acting. Yeah. It was sort of like, so 
So what, gosh, when I was like 16, 17, my, our basketball coach heard me singing in the stairwell of our high school and he was like, hey, you should do the national anthem for the s- school. And my sister, like, I, yeah. I was like, wow, this happened. And my sister was like, you should totally do it. <gasps> like, <laughs> meaning, <laughs> like, she's so mean. so mean. She's so mean sometimes. So mean. That's how I interpreted it at the time. Maybe she wasn't, but it felt like that. And I was like, <laughs> okay, yeah, I should. And like, whether okay, or not I, it. you know, and so then somehow... I met this uh, music manager and we started recording music and then I started writing music mm-hmm. and then I started having like songs being played, like the, the ones that we like wrote, mm-hmm. like being played on radio stations. And then from there, it was like we went to Atlantic Records. Like oh. I got so first the first meeting was Jive Records uh-huh. got completely thrown out of that. Like I ain't hearing anything, bitch. Yeah, like yeah, what, yeah. what do you go back to Vulcan and be a model or something? Yeah, like, yeah, I was yeah. like, Dang. yeah, Jive's not. Gonna, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're tough. <laughs> they're, they're really tough. Yeah. And so she gave me a really good piece of advice mm. and I used everything that she said. She's like, what what the hell are you wearing? Like, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, I need to do the opposite of what I just did. Okay. So that's when I like, everything was the opposite. Mm. Like it was just, I was doing a George Costanza, let me do opposite <laughs> of what I just did. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it worked out. And then that's when um, he was like, oh, my God, we want to work with you. So second meeting goes amazing. To Jive or Atlantic? Atlantic. Okay, because I was signed to Atlantic for a hot moment. Was it Jason from? Was it no? Yes, was it Jason? Jason it was. Oh Jason my gosh! Flum. I was wow. I, so so Jason Plum. I still run into him, and he's like, "Yeah, Jose, you, know what, you know." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was Andy Shane. He signed like Willa Ford, and so he was like, "Yeah." So my A and R. It was um, um, I forget the, like the subdivision. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, right. this is amazing. Okay. So you were Atlantic and and you were what seventeen? You or were you in school? I was, by then? I was eighteen. I was eighteen at the time. So you were at Duke. You were actively at Duke, going to school, going to college. Right before Duke. And so they're okay. like, start working with this producer. And I was like, my mom started to lose like a gasket. She's like, if you do not go to like college college, and your yeah. full scholarship, I will kill you. Okay. And so, <laughs> so I went. <laughs> so I'm then, stressed so then for we you. Were- <laughs> and it was it was interesting because we were like in a you know the number one NCAA team, but I you know and I had been like the number six player in the country, but these are all like number one players who were top in the world as juniors. I was like maybe like a hundred and something in the world, mm. which comparatively mm. to my peers wasn't like I was the bottom rung. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was sort of like I was lucky to be there kind of deal, mm-hmm. and so. That year, we won the indoor NCAAs, and we were just stacked. Like, I didn't, you know, I was, like, undefeated in doubles, mm-hmm. but then I think we lost a match, and my coach took me out. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just – and so I just I, – I didn't always feel value there, and everyone was so cutthroat and mean. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't – and so I was, like, searching for this, like, family. Mm-hmm. So remember when I went down to Florida for, like, I'm going to find my With family. And so whatnot. then this yeah. was, like, I'm going to find my family, my sisterhood. Mm-hmm. And it was not – Not that. What I had anticipated, it was just very more the same of like a lot of number one players who had, you know, you have to be very selfish as a tennis player. And so I was like looking to collaborate, looking to have like camaraderie. I was looking to, you know, and that just didn't 
that just wasn't a place for it. Got it. You know, yeah. even though we were a team, like, we found a way, but it just felt really dysfunctional. Because ultimately, tennis is not like, a team felt- sport. It's, I mean, unless you're doing doubles. It's not a team sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of ego and a lot of personalities, I'd imagine. And, and there's a lot of, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of elitism. And that is the opposite of being an artist. And so you were really skating both of these paths for yourself. But I think you knew in your heart of hearts. So then how did you how did you finally decide to stop and fully go into the arts? There's a, a teacher just who really believed in me and in, in um, at Duke, he, you're saying, right? At Duke. And he got yeah, he was so wonderful. And so he mm-hmm. I was doing like a scene from like a Neil LeBue play and the shape of things, and he was mm-hmm. blown blown away by it. It was sort of that mm-hmm. feeling again of like, oh shit, I'm on the right track. Right. And right. he offered me a paid gig like off like Duke in like, you know, Durham, but it was like a, I would be getting a lot of money. It was like the most money that I had seen in my whole like college years. It was like, a, right. it was, wow. for me at the time, it was a lot of money and right. I couldn't carve out the dates. I went to my coach and he's like, no way, you know, you can't do it, blah, blah, blah. Like, and right. so there I am cheering my team on that doesn't like me, yeah. <laughs> that really can't stand me. That like I'm on the bench eating my feelings, wondering what the fuck am I doing here? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You just hit you hit your limit. You hit your limit. Yeah. No, I get that. I do. I, I hit my limit. Yeah. So that was like uh around the time in Vegas and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I don't feel valued. I don't feel seen. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like this is worth it to me at all. This just feels like velvet handcuffs. This mm, wasn't wow. what I thought That's it was. That's a beautiful going to dream. scary metaphor. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Wait, what? What'd I say? Velvet handcuffs. Velvet handcuffs. I love that. That's amazing. And also shitty. (laughs) Shitty. (laughs) And so I guess the dream just kind of became a nightmare. Mm -hmm. You know, I did not deconstruct the dream enough. Well, when you dream Um, at 12 years old, it's a very different dream. Totally. So now you officially quit the team and then then what happened? Because you had been doing versions of your career like what happened after the day you quit kind of thing? The next day I'm in my coach's office. is like, hey, thank you so much, but I don't think I can do this anymore. Wow. And I think I'm going to give up my scholarship. Wow. And I was so happy. Mm-hmm. I was like walking on the quad being mm-hmm. like, the hills are alive <laughs> with the sound of Duke. Like I was just <laughs> so elated. Uh-huh. And I went from being like a BC student you know, where I was just struggling and hating life to being on the dean's list. Wow. It was like, so that like end of the year, I like turned my life around. Mm-hmm. I lost a ton of weight. Mm-hmm. I was like feeling really good. Mm-hmm. I was like dating cute guys mm-hmm. who valued me, like who treated <laughs> me great. Like, you know, yeah. and then, um, so I immediately call up my A&R, Andy Shane was like, Hey, I just quit. I just, you know, now I'm kind of free. I can kind of He's like, great, I have the song with Fat Joe. We're going to fly you up. Wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I sing on this track. And yeah, we started doing like a promotional tour for uh, the Fat Joe song. Yeah. We made the rounds of like every radio station. And then the record label was like, see what you do with it. Like, see if you can make this like a hit. Because Jason Flum was like, I don't know if we went. Yeah. He's like, we could do a development deal, but that, like that's not going to do anything. So you like, weren't signed? Like, we have you weren't signed or you were- I was not signed. Wow. So you guys were, oh, wow. So you were just an artist, like you were hip-pocketed as an artist and they were bringing you I in. was hip-pocketed. And- I was also hip-pocketed by Jason Flom, so. <laughs> what? That's so crazy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, no, no, no. Listen, actually, Jason was the only person who took a chance on me, but he quit right after they signed my deal to Atlantic Records. And I had been trying to get... Capital, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, what did he do? He went... From Atlantic or Virgin, yeah, Virgin? yeah. So Virgin? he was he was gonna he gave me a development deal when he went over to Virgin, and I did, and he funded a couple of songs with The Matrix, and The Matrix. I guess they said they didn't hear a hit, but it was at the time that Katy Perry was sort of like circling from begin being this like demo singer. And I'll never forget, I actually talk about this in a YouTube video that people are like, ah, shut up about it. But like, I actually went to dinner with Mika and Katy Perry and Jodi Marr, who's an, if you don't know Jodi, you should know her because she's an amazing Miami-based, like, iconic songwriter. And um, she, uh, and we were all at dinner. Anyway, so Katy Perry, uh, I had mentioned her. I was like, hey, you know, I just, I just sang over one of your demo tracks with The Matrix called Just a Song. And she was like, oh, cool. Where's your deal at? I was like, yeah, it's with Jason Flom. And then I was not signed like in weeks subsequent to this conversation. And Katie was signed. Well, Katie was signed. And so I'm not saying that Katie took my record deal in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying that Katie Perry had a a long standing relationship with like Jason Flom and the Matrix and like that whole world. And I was sort of one that clued her in on them being since Jason had landed at Virgin, like uh, sort of like that conversation was being had in in, in present tense. So, it, you know, I don't care. I think Katy Perry was the better recording artist. Like when you, you know, objectively, when you look at people, you're like, yeah, of course that person is. I have is to hear this music. I have to hear just, your music, oh, though. no, yeah. I want to be the judge of that. Aww. I want to be the judge. I, I, I love it. that. I so you're so supportive. So Pussycat Dolls was coming out of this deal or they hip pocketed you or what what exactly happened from there? So Pussycat Dolls was completely unrelated okay. again. It, this was sort of like, oh my God. So the modeling agency I was at, they wanted to maybe put me on the MTV show, uh-huh. like something Fifth and Ocean oh, or right. something. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Wait, that was that P. Diddy thing? Oh, no, no, no. The modeling agency reality show. Okay. It was like a modeling agency. Okay. So I was like signed with them. And so they were pushing for the Pussycat Doll like audition. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, but then... It just, it didn't work out. Like, okay. it just, it, so that had nothing. That was just, it was just in a, like, I think, an audition. I think it's really great that you didn't become a pussycat doll, personally. <laughs> no. No. I'm really proud of you. Yeah, no, I've heard horror stories. Wait, I mean, as much as you love the artistic side of this, of the business, that you were now. My career is flashing before my eyes. <laughs> I know, just I'm like, like, I'm like, no, I will not do this. No, I will not do that. No, I will not do that. No, I. And there's been so many times that I've been just cut out of movies, like huge films, just because I won't sleep with a director. And no I'm just shit, like, really? Oh yeah. Oh wow. Oh yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I, it was it. It was like when I went to the actual premiere, answering questions about my character. That makes me like so the guy sick. basically loosely hold held me hostage. Like he's like, hey, let's go out for a drink, and I was always like suspicious and. Mm-hmm. So I would always dress down and like yeah. be like a tomboy, like hat. He's like, "Why are you wearing that like hat and like sweatpants?" Yeah, because be like, you're like, "Because I want to tell you to fuck off." And like, yeah, you know, it's not happening. A way that you can understand. Yeah, that's so good. And basically, we went for like we went for some like dinner, or whatever. And I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna go," you know. And he's like, instead of being like, "All right, I'll drive you back," he's like, "Hey, let's just go," you know. He's like, I just want to grab a drink. And then it went from like, I want to grab a drink to like, I want to serenade you at this guitar store, like with it, like, I want to buy this guitar. And I was like, dude, I just want to go home to yeah. like, 
you know, taking me to the house that he's renting in somewhere in Louisiana. Oh, boy. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going inside. He's like, stop being a weirdo. Like, Wait, do I know this guy? Probably. (laughs) Shit. He's not working very much anymore, by the way, just because he – he, so 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 then he's like the whole time he's trying to hold my hand. I'm like, dude, I have a boyfriend. Like, please stop. You're making me uncomfortable. Oh, they don't like, care. Don't like when they're on location, they don't care. Yeah. And so like he's – I'm like, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. And all he's doing is like taking me from – like trying to like wear me down. Ugh, and at this gross. point, I want to fucking strangle him. And so oh my God. ultimately like I try to avoid him. He's like, I just want to be your boyfriend. And then like finally we get to set and he's like, fine. If you don't want to date me, like I want her. Like, that's who I want. Like, talk to her. And I was like, I'm your pimp now? Oh, God. Like, <laughs> what a fucking nut job. And oh my so God. I get to the movie premiere thinking, like, how come I haven't done ADR? And he's like, yeah. I run into him. So he's sitting next to me. He's like, I've been seeing your face this whole time. Blah, 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 blah. He's South African. Okay. okay. <laughs> and so, you know, he's like, I can't believe it. You know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, wow, cool. Like, do I need to do ADR? He's like, no, no. So I get to the premiere. I'm answering questions. You know, I'm with my publicist. I've done like a whole thing, like spread on Maxim about this movie. I get to the movie theater and I'm like, I- I- I'm not there. <gasps> I'm I'm not there. Oh my god. I'm not there. Oh my god. So he didn't have the audacity when he saw me to let me know that I was cut out of the movie. Like, but you were sitting close to him. No, he he like he wasn't there at the oh, premiere. Okay. Which is weird. Uh, okay. And I was so horrified, and I was like, "What in the f?" Yeah. And it went like wow. number one, but it was just it was really it was really messed up. I'm so, so sorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, feel free to say names, to you, <laughs> whatever you want to do. That's no, you fine. know what's interesting? I actually, when the Harvey Weinstein thing came out, I was like, I don't want to ruin someone's career, but we're gonna have a chat. <laughs> you know, like I'm like, we're, I'm not going to Twitter out you, but like, you know, yeah. let's see where you're at. And so like yeah. immediately post Harvey, I was like, hey, do you have time to chat? And he like freaked out. He's like, what, what's going on? Boop. Like he knew. <laughs> he Ooh. knew it was inappropriate. I was like, so basically you held me hostage and you kept coercing me to be in this. And then, you know, I went to the premiere and it's not lost on me that I was cut out. And you didn't even have the audacity to tell me like yeah. given all these circumstances. And he's like, I swear, like it just, I didn't mean to like, I didn't, I didn't cut you out. Like I swear that just, I'm like, no, 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 no. Cause I was like, I can, I don't want to yeah. like, if you, if you pull this shit, like I might have to. Yeah. Like, interesting. You were like, you need to show like me. Letting you know that this is not okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? And so he was like, I hope I'm not Harvey Weinstein. I hope I'm like, you're not a, rapist like whatever but so so how did you end that conversation with this guy after he after like that's really interesting how did how did the conversation get left is my was my question like did you feel like he actually was worth not not be called being called out like what about that conversation like yes yes he didn't rape you but like why why do some people deserve to get called out for certain injustices and some people just deserve to be moved moved on from well he started crying i mean <laughs> you know so that i mean like that was like so he was genuinely horrified okay. by his own behavior and he like he was crying and he felt so horrible okay you know and i'm sure this is not the first time i'm sure there's a like yeah he's also not randy what's his name randy randall emmett who pulls that shit like he tried to pull that shit with me mm-hmm. 
like the director had hired me for a project I was really good friends with. And so I was working with like Bruce Willis and like 50 Cent and they were fabulous. Um, great. And I had such a great time. And Randy mm. was interesting because he was like, hey, let's go play tennis in here. Like I got you some tennis gear and whatever. And I was like yeah. tiny little shorts. And I was like, all right, whatever. And so he was actually mm -hmm. like respectful and cool. There wasn't any, like at any point did I feel uncomfortable. Um, like he was like, yeah, I'm married. I have a kid. I'm like, oh, cool, great. You know, mm -hmm. and you see like mm -hmm. baby toys everywhere and you're like, oh, that's so yeah. sweet. And so, you know, yeah. and then I hear I'm, I'm like with one of the other producers. He's like, yeah, you should hear what Randall says about all these women and, you know, and how he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm going to get her like I'm going to she's going to date me, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? Oh, what no. is he saying? And then, oh, no. you know, post the movie, he would be like, hey, if you want to be my secret lover, come to like Africa and I'll give you a role. And I was like, no. <laughs> just want to work with you. I mean, I have the text receipts and I just like, screw that guy. Okay, so when did this start to happen then? Like once you started getting into, like, did you actually All move the time. to California? Fuck, man. This happened in the music industry. And the, the, here's okay. the thing. That happened to me here's in the music industry. crazy definitely. thing that no one talks about. The music mm -hmm. industry is run by the that's... fucking mafia. Like, let's oh. just like. I, I didn't mean, know that. Like which which mafia? I mean, just like a mafia <laughs> or a very okay. dark energy that. Oh yeah, for like sure. General, dark energy. I'm not saying like the Italian. Like I'm just saying like yeah, it's yeah, yeah. run in a way that there are no rules and Paola and all these like terror. Like it's Oof. just especially in Miami, right? Like Miami has some. Pre it's pretty. I just think it's pretty crazy there. Honestly, <laughs> like can... it's it's literally just it's really really scary. And it's a dark place. It's, yeah. it's mm -hmm. the darkest of the industries, I think, because there's mm -hmm. so much power. It's like you're you're communing with God or you're communing like you're you're basically like putting everyone under a spell when you perform. You know, you're exactly in a yeah. hypnosis. That's totally true. The amount of power that you have over people's lives, like people like that draws a very specific type of people who want to like be the puppeteers mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. there are no rules like it was just commonplace to show up like the head of I think it was Columbia Records like it was like mm -hmm. either the head or the vice president would just be like he's like hey I'm really interested in like working with you and blah 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 and he's like come to this like you know place and he would show up in his like bathrobe at his like and so I would be there with my manager and he's like does he always come with you and I'm like are you always in a bathrobe <laughs> like, <laughs> so you like, had to get a hard you had to get their thick skin fast then it's oh no like. no this is just what it was it was okay. like we would be at you know the program director for a radio station and he would want to sign me and like he would be high on pills. He can't like put a word together. Like it was so oh crazy. Gosh. Like this was just the normal thing. It's still of like this. I feel like it's still like this. I don't think it's changed that much. Now, I will say though, it seems as though but some But no one of... talks about it. It's so much no. worse than like the, because there's some corporate, you know, there's, there's a corporate way of being and there's checks and balances mm -hmm. in the movie industry. Mm -hmm. You can't get away mm -hmm. because there's studios sad. and there's like, right. Right. Whereas, mm -hmm. like, there are no rules. It's the Wild West. And it's really interesting that none of the artists really talk about the Me Too stuff and how, mm, like, how a lot of things get done there. Like, I'm just saying yeah. it's literally, yeah. like, what I've heard 
from other artists, like Pretty Ricky sat me down, was like, if you want to make it in this industry, the only way is if you sleep your way to the top. And I was like wow. having a life crisis of like, I can't believe this. This is a rigged game. So I remember I was doing you like- left tennis and now you're getting these horrible experiences with the music stuff. But so then did Glee really bring you out to L.A. for the first time? Was that how you were yes. like, wow, I think I'll stay here now or what happened? Yes. So the the Glee audition was where uh, everything I feel like happened for me. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, like, I guess, I guess I am meant to be here. I guess I'm meant to be acting. Like, this is so great. Because it was sort of like I asked God, I was like, God, like, if you want me to be out here, please let me know. Like, this is like, if I get a call back, then that means I'm meant to be here. You know, otherwise Mm, I'm going to just stay in Miami and. So you have a pretty good relationship with your higher power, it seems like, over time. Uh, uh, good, my All of my 20s was not <laughs> listening. And okay. now I'm listening again. So now I just have to listen to that inner voice and that, can, you know, that parts of... It like, can get louder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I, yeah. I have a really great relationship. I went to Israel just recently and was that was my reclamation of mm-hmm. my... My relationship like a baptism. with baptism. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Totally. Okay. So then I like I tested for another pilot for it was a Comedy mm-hmm. Central pilot, and uh, yeah. So I was like, wow, I'm just testing left and right, and then like <laughs> I like barely ever tested again in my life. By the way, yeah, I've I know tested, how that feels. Like, a few times. <laughs> so then I came out here. I literally after testing for two pilots, I. Um, I had like a top management at like Untitled and everything was going in my favor. And then, uh, yeah, I moved out here uh, like shortly after that. And then I just like could not book a job to save my life Mm -hmm. for like six months or something. Mm -hmm. And then finally, like I did. I started working. It took it took a really long time. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Dry spells are hard, especially when, you know, you you have enough moments like that where you're just honoring your creative process and you just happen to be at the level of testing and you piss someone off on an executive capacity and you start to get like blacklisted. I don't know if you, I mean, I know that you've had to get a thick skin with these people that are these, these figureheads, I guess you'd want to call them and some of them abusing their power. But I mean, there are little, I want to call them like microaggressions towards actresses all over uh, the experience of being in, you know, in the business. And that's what I hate about Hollywood. And that's partly why I moved out to Austin. And I know you moved out to Utah, which, I, right? This is what yeah. I'm getting is that you moved to Utah after yes. after yes. a very big uh, life life happening that I would definitely want to get into. And it's like, you know, how do you deal with people? I mean, do you care about what people think? Or have you gotten to a place in your life where you're like, it's life's just too short. I, I will find energy that understands my value. Yeah. Uh, man, no, I, I march to the beat of my own drum. And I feel like that's just been who, and I, and I think like, it's interesting when I took this personality test, uh, it's like the big five. Uh, I am more on the disagreeable side, which is really interesting. So I'm deeply compassionate. I'm like 90 something percent on the comp- So it's comprised of two um, parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so the so the agreeableness is made up of politeness and compassion. And so like, you know, I'm deeply compassionate. I would, you know, I would spend thousands of dollars on, you know, like 
homeless people or people who, you Mm -hmm. know, transient people who like need help or, you know, or Mm -hmm. taking in my dog who was astray, Mm -hmm. wandering the streets in downtown LA, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm really generous in that sense, but I have zero politeness. (laughs) So (laughs) it's basically, it's like, I I care about how people feel. Like I never Mm want to make people like anyone feel bad. So it's sort of okay. like I can be reverent and, you know, I love comedy and I think it's always so important to be able to say, and I think it is important to, you know, to, to disagree, to disagree. Yeah. To disagree. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's important I think to be we, able to disagree. Yeah. To disagree. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I don't want to say like we should be able to offend one another because that's not really the intention. And I think maybe that's the wrong word. No, if, like, someone, like, drives, like, an asshole, you're like, fuck you. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm, I should be able to mm-hmm. say that. And so, like, mm-hmm. but that's offending someone. So it's like I'm mm-hmm. standing up for my rights and I'm okay with, you know, having that person, like, if they drive, like, an asshole, I'm like, fuck you. And then they're like, fuck mm-hmm. you. Well, like, I, maybe I'm just more of a New Yorker in that. Like, I think I found when you don't, I went to New York. You're not, like, afraid of confrontation, essentially. Yes. Okay. Because um, I, mean, I am. I'm deathly afraid of confrontation. I am... I am also like I would say a really big people pleaser, but I and yes, I am compassionate, but there there are things there are limits to my compassion that like masquerade as boundaries. So like I've gotten very confused over time on what it means to feel things and setting those boundaries, which Mm -hmm. really affected like my concept of value, Mm self-value and all that stuff. What I like about your journey is that it doesn't seem as though you've ever had a question about your value. And really it was a matter of communicating in a way that that felt right for you, I guess is my point. And that's yeah, what I'm getting. Yeah, communication wasn't quite my skill set just yet. Like yeah, I've had yeah. to like really learn that over time because um, I guess, yeah, you know, I'm – it's interesting. Like I went to like a bunch of like – July 4th parties and I could tell that maybe just my way of being annoyed someone. And so I was clocking it and I was like, oh, I think she's like looking at her boyfriend and kind of being like mm, giving the eyes. And I was like, I don't <laughs> what really are you care. talking about? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No, but it's just like, I don't know, just me being like personality and just kind of, you know, just yeah. a big personality. And so I think, yeah. you know, and I was like, I don't really care. Like I'm not, yeah. so it, in that sense, it's like, well, I'm, I didn't say anything like, you know, mean or and so I'm like, oh, my just existence annoys you. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really get offended by that. But yeah. I'm like, cool. But I would care if I, like, if I, like, made her feel bad or, like, so, I guess so it's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I don't care about the social order. Like, I don't care for rules because a lot of rules, if you look in the history of, like, let's say just Nazi Germany, Germany like, the rules mm-hmm. are bogus. You know, so I think yeah. of the. I think of the God, the higher, the highest form of, of morality and rules, like those are the things I follow, you know, mm-hmm. is this benefit? Am I thinking about my fellow man? You know, do you want to others? Do you want others to do unto you? Like, these are just basic mm-hmm. concepts and like, that's more of what I follow. But this is really interesting. Right. This is very interesting to me. And I'm like unpacking it for myself. <laughs> Sometimes I could not differentiate how some someone felt like, oh, I'm being too big or something. And that makes someone like feel small or makes someone feel whatever. Or, you know, and I was like, wait, but that's making me feel small. Mm -hmm. Like I can't, I don't want to, the parts that I love about myself that I think like are beautiful. Mm -hmm. I don't 
want to diminish and this might not be like a fit, like a right fit energetically. So I just realized where I'm like, when is it when I'm being an asshole and I need to like keep that in check versus like, it's wondering, it's like, is that person just triggered because of their own stuff or am I doing something that is like willingly like pressing on their trigger button? Like, so it's like, What's their issue? What's their issue in this? That's interesting. What's my issue versus their issue? Yeah, yeah. 80% of the time, let's say, it's about that person's issues. 10% of the time, it's you fucking up. I get it. I feel that. Maybe 20%. Let's say 20%. Right. 80-20. Okay, got it. Totally. So that was so informative to be like, is this a my issue or is this a you issue? And how? Because it's like, I don't want to be an asshole and I don't want to be someone who isn't um, trying to be a better human. Got it. You know what I mean? Like I, I wouldn't, you know, if I'm showing up late and, and you know, mm-hmm. be like, I should be on time right. and like not be disrespectful and, right. you know, let people talk. I feel you. <laughs> it's always- I think you're amazing <laughs> and I think you're absolutely flawless, but that's just me. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, I, I still not. adore you not. even after our chat here I about adore you. everything. So now I watch your podcast. Oh, well, you're on it. You're on it right now. And I love that. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I'm just here hustling here in Austin. So let's talk about your move and what led you to moving to now. You are, are you in Utah? Or are you filming in California right now? I so I was here for a magazine shoot. Nice. Um, okay. And some, you know, yeah. So just, just for some work stuff, yeah. and I'm doing like another photo shoot tomorrow and catching up with friends. Amazing. So I'm staying in the Fairmont, and it's been great. It's amazing. Because before I was staying in a party hotel. Oh no. Awful. We're too like, old for that shit. <laughs> I was like nine in the like eight in the morning. I was like here. I was like why? Yeah. Why? 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 Why do I? Why do I hear like? It's because it's ten grand. It's Jason Flom and that South African director is up there trying to uh, serenade some a poor actress. <laughs> <laughs> this business is so crazy. So oh, it's man. like you have to like talk about. I mean, I want to like interview you because there's just so many fascinating stories because it is it's a minefield yeah now maybe i think it's changed a bit but it, it's still it moves like there's this power dynamic and it, it continues to shift and change but it never seems to lose its grasp and its teeth into like it's like okay it was me too but now it's whatever yeah, idea. yeah, 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 yeah. like mm-hmm. Shifts and changes all the time yeah. that you have to be the right type of whatever yeah. that means. Yeah. And it changes Everybody, like at some point, there's a finite amount of power and access to that power. Even though people want to say, like, there's enough jobs for everybody, it, it, there's always going to be, like you said, there, it's okay to be disagreeable about certain things. But when power is involved and the abuse of that power, I think it, it can be very frustrating. But I mean, you know, that's why... Certain people who have access, the privilege and the the knowledge and all that stuff, they they can advocate for positivity, and and that's part of the reason why if you you've have listened to the podcast, why I'm trying to advocating for child actors because no one else can, and yeah. so it's it's great to hear about you know your growth through it. But then what what made you finally decide to leave Hollywood and well not leave Hollywood but move physically and then. And then what benefits has that brought you? How, how have you felt about oh, it? Man. Well, it was probably around the time that I had to fight off a robber. Uh, and oh, I saw my, my neighbors get robbed. Um, <laughs> oh, and it was really like just dark energy in, in Venice. So I saw this guy 
really like four in the morning and he was looking for something and you know and I was like You're like this is incredible. I don't want to misread this but it feels real like I was like something doesn't feel like his energy just felt really off okay yeah so I called the cops like they don't come because I was yeah. like something just like his energy feels really intense and scary like it just it felt overwhelmingly just like I don't know. Yeah. So I find out that um, he broke in, he broke into their their home and like kicked down the door and like they were sleeping and like stole their car keys, like crashed the car. And when they found his rap sheet, they were like, "Hey, you guys are lucky to be alive." Oh my god! And so like, but then the cops didn't. They're like, "It's behind, you know, it's different jurisdiction, and like, there's nothing we can do. We can only get him for like." crashing the car like it was so ridiculous and I was like I was my witness I can I can attest to this like sorry it's out of our hands and I was just like this just feels like this is broken yeah when did you start looking for Utah when did you start saying oh you know I've been have you been to Utah had you filmed there yeah so uh my family had moved out there my mom and her husband okay um yeah, so they so they moved out there for the skiing. Okay. And my dad would have loved that if he was still alive. Yeah. That was like his favorite place to ski in Deer Valley. Mm-hmm. And so I went out there during the pandemic and I just felt this like serene, like I, I didn't I didn't feel like there was this like dark current of energy floating. Right. Like this just Clean. feels that it floats through yeah. in LA and Hollywood <laughs> and especially during that time. Yeah, it was rough. It was I would really just rough. go out there and I would just suddenly ground myself. I just and so now that um, – and then they, they ended up, like, moving and selling their house mm-hmm. shortly before I decided I was going to move there. But I just was like, you know what? Maybe I should try Utah because I just love – I feel safe there. I know a lot of people. I've made some friends there. And, cool. And I just honestly, like, I, there's – you know, I know my neighbors. I mean, I always knew my neighbors. Yeah. That was just me. Yeah. It's a community that lends itself, like, it, it's really more about, like, knowing your neighbors mm-hmm. that, like, most everyone knows who they are and most everyone is friends. Like, I guess I was the anomaly that always was friends with my neighbors yeah, yeah, yeah. in L.A. But that's, like, not the norm. And, and so there's – Yeah, that's true. And it's just, like, I – you know, it's uh, – I wake up to with like a lake and mountain view mm-hmm. and I can walk my dog at two in the morning and, and not have the guy dragging the rake. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, there's the yeah. mountain lion. So I've had two encounters the with a mountain lion. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> are you more, are you more in nature now that you're in Utah? Do you feel more connected to to the outside? Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh my God. You just wake up and you're just, you know, I would be skiing, you know, That's every awesome. morning or, That's you so know, cool. when my back wasn't hurting yeah. or, you know, I would just be waking up and just being like, man, I can't believe this is my life. Like, yeah. wow. I just feel such gratitude. Right. And, right. you know, because I, I need to be in nature and I need to be around nature. Right. Right. Uh, to feel like, to be able to hear what God wants for me and how to build my life correctly. And yeah. I just felt, it, I didn't have to be in LA anymore. I, yeah. I feel like the pandemic has opened up like so much where I don't have to be here. Got it. So you kind of felt that tractor beam of ha- at some point of having to stay there then? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of seeing like how, you know, I'm just kind of going with the flow and yeah, just sort yeah. of like listening to that voice of from God. And, yeah. you know, and this is not like a, I wouldn't say it's like a, a Christian, it's like a Christian or a Jewish voice. Like it's just yeah. God. Yeah, it's your higher it's power. It's your higher power. It's my higher power. That's the thing is if you more know? people recognize that there's something spiritual in them and there's nothing you can really deny, whether you want to call it the universe, stardust, you know, any kind of God, Buddha, whoever it is, it's a, it's a higher power. And 
the more you can honor that and have a relationship to that, the more on your path you're going to be and and the more commitment you have to yourself. And, and honestly, yeah, I, I'm just so happy you're aligned in that way and that you're reaching out for that. And so it sounds like that that was a really great move. Um, so what have you been doing? Can we promote your new movie that's coming out? Yes. I know you've got, I know you had a deal with GAC and the folks at GAC and it just sounds like it's all positive stuff. So let's talk about it. Are yeah. you filming anything now? Like, are you set to do three more films? Have you done them? What's happening? Yeah, so not, so not yet. I think we're still, um, so I have done, uh, I did one film with them okay. and, you know, honestly, like I was treated so well on that set and, you know, I'm sure. from coming from the, the world that we came from of just constantly being a minefield, it was, <laughs> it just felt like, it just felt like a very different like period in my life mm-hmm. where um, things just seemed to be like going in the, in the right direction for me. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, they loved what I did. So then they offered me a four picture deal. Oh, and, and so I'll be able to, uh, produce, uh, yes! also two of them. That's and amazing. one I'll be writing, that's... which is really cool. I got the green light to write one, oh, um, which exciting. I'm in the middle of. Oh, I'm so proud of you. There was another film I did in Australia, which was really fun. And they, GAC ended up buying it, which is called Love and Bloom. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, and where can we see this? Yeah. Where can we see it? Where? So it's going to be on GAC. Okay. I think it's going to be end of, um, I, I'm, I don't think I'm allowed to say the date okay. yet. But it's like this end summer, of summer. End of like the summer. End of August. Okay, cool. Perfect. Or beginning of September, one of those. Okay. But yeah. Um, like an Indian summer kind of it's, maybe too. Yeah. Because I'll tell you yeah, one thing. So one thing when I went in to meet with the head of casting at Hallmark, because I still haven't been in a Hallmark movie, by the way. <laughs> and, and a lot of people are like, Chrissy, come on, you should be doing these Hallmark movies. I'm like, well, I don't know, man. What do you want me to say? And so regardless, I remember when going into the casting and they were like, I don't know if they ever asked you this in your in your beginnings of working with them. Because um, you you worked with Hallmark before this, obviously, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I did. I did. Two films That's what I thought. Them. Yeah, totally. That's what I thought. I thought. Yeah. And they asked me when I sat down. They go, <laughs> "I'll never forget this. <laughs> That's a really funny question. So, what kind of season do you think you are?" <laughs> what they did? They asked me what kind of season I thought I am to be cast in one of their movies because I think, and, and, and I had, and you know, I honestly, questions, how do I, you, I was that? not, well, here's the thing. I wasn't pandering to them because I once had this person who was an etiquette coach and she told me that my coloring, not with the highlights, but my coloring in general was a winter. And so I told them, I was like, well, I'm a winter. Sign me up for some Christmas Hallmark casting. And then I never heard from them again. And I don't know. I, 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 it's fine. We're always hoping that they'll come to their senses. But this industry is so weird. <laughs> it really is. It's so weird. Who, who does But you're a summer. What? You're currently a summer because you have a summer movie coming out. <laughs> That's why I, I guess say. so, but I've also done Christmas as well. So you I are all know. seasons, girl. To me, you are all seasons, and they know that. Luckily, we're at GAC, and they know that. That's so bizarre. Because of course, That's if it's a four-picture deal, I bet you're going to have a summer of. Oh, winter. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. Yay. Dude, that's so weird. Wait, wait, wait. So why did you stop acting? Okay, here's the thing. People think that I left Hollywood. Um, I just moved, right? So like you're in Utah, oh. and I'm here in Austin. Thing is that I, I, it's hard to get work for me in particular. I never was a person 
because uh, after Disney, um, I kind of went to college and then I kind of stopped doing stuff in my 20s. It became very competitive to, like you said, for a lot of reasons. It's like if you don't prop yourself up at the right time in the right place, that can really change the the course of a lot of things. And so for me, I think I always was going back and forth of whether I even wanted to do this. And so when I was about 26, I hadn't really worked enough for me to justify staying in California. So I left, I went back to college, I went to New York, and then I met my husband. So my life kind of really began when I left Hollywood the first time. Um, and yeah, that's I was, what I'm hoping for. Oh, I mean, for me, it was in a very different place, though, because I was still, I had to heal so much from more childhood trauma. But it was yeah. like, more or less, though, I think this round of me leaving to go to come to Austin, I had been making like, you know, online content, YouTube stuff with my husband, my producing partner. So I think that, you know, there's there's the traditional sense of production that when you see certain companies giving you the ability to produce and write, I can only encourage that, right? Like that's a good thing that they're doing that for right. you. And it's important that you also have that mindset. Like if somebody doesn't give you that opportunity, which, you know, I, I remember um, the folks at Hallmark being sort of known to do with their stars and whatnot. So I thought that that was very, very, very positive. I'm glad that they're doing that yeah. for you and that they're honoring that. But for me, it's been very empowering to just do this stuff on my own because, again, I'm not getting Hallmark to be like, okay, you're going to be a winter and we're going to call you and you're going to go to Ireland. And I'm like, I'm not taking it. Listen, I'm not taking it personally. Um, I I can only I can only keep doing what's valuable to my time because – You're such a star, by the way. You have it's one like, life. It's so, it, you're such a <laughs> – I, maybe I need to declare. No, like, maybe I need to declare things. But I mean, I think maybe there maybe. is still, I don't know, maybe there's still a part of me, though, that really doesn't want to do it. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I'd like to think that we're all very powerful beings. And like, there could be something in me that if I If you just, are conflicted in any way, you won't be able to manifest that if you have any that's doubt. Probably, like, that's probably not 100%. even doubt. <laughs> yeah. This is something one of my uh, best friends said that like, you might think these are your values mm -hmm. and then you have other things that go against those things. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you might think that you want this, but then there's reasons why you also don't. So it's conflicting mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. within yourself. So it's like trying to work out like why you want it and for what reason. And then what's the, uh, like, yeah. So trying to break down like what exactly it is and then you can kind of free yourself up. Like what, what things are tied like that are ego or, yes. you know, and it's, it's really interesting. Like if, if you can like, yeah. cause the things that we want to manifest that we don't give a shit about, they're like, but we let it go yeah. and we completely forget about yeah. it. And then it's like so easy to manifest or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's like the more that there might be a lot of like pain and, and trauma. And it's really interesting you say that because I think tennis players, um, when I was doing King Richard, which I unfortunately got cut out of, but ah, I, working with Will was, okay. was, really, was really great. Uh -huh. But like reading the script, I literally was seeing flashbacks to my childhood of how traumatic it was. And I'm like, the thing that I like in um, being like a phenom tennis player is the same thing of being a child actor, where it's the same thing. You're thrust in having to deal with um, adult neuroses and their own issues and all their triggers when you're only 12 and like, you're just trying to like figure out your own life and like deal with like 12 year old problems, but you're thrust into this very adult world yeah. where you're, where you have to like 
handle like adult problems because adults are screaming at you like from all sides of like abuse and this and that yeah. like I remember there was like some crazy um she was like one of my best friends turned enemy because like I guess I was like my coach gave me more attention and so this the mother started to like make my life a living hell and a lot of other people's and so she had this like line judge basically harassing me and he he was supposed to be at uh, you're always supposed to stand at like the net instead he was just like behind me following me mm-hmm. and like being real like, at 12 so at 12 years old yeah at 12 and so instead That's- of like like how can i stand up to this adult who's behaving really badly, yeah. both these people, like, because yeah. he's not supposed to, this is not how this is supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's just all these, like, you know, you're just not really equipped and it does yeah. sort of stunt you yeah. to a certain degree because you're doing this, like, one trick pony thing yeah. and then, you know, you don't know how to develop relationships yeah, and you don't yeah. know how to quite, you know, even though I'm surrounded by other tennis players and we're dating and yeah. we're going to prom together, but we're all sort in of a bubble. not able to effectively communicate, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like, we, like I'm not learning, you know, the having normal experiences. Yeah. It's, they're very heightened experiences, even though I, I got to go to prom like every year, but it's a smaller school. I don't yeah, know. No, it's no, just- no, no, no. It's true. It's, it's those highly, highly competitive childhoods are not not normal. And even though no. they've been historically... I mean, when when I like I like to bring light to them because I do think that they're not just the famous kids problems. They're any child who's had sort of this, like you said, like extreme sports and yeah. protege sort of stuff is it's very fascinating to me. And I will never stop trying to advocate for understanding that on a deeper level. So, I mean, in me, I feel like that's what my calling is right now. And I'm I'm navigating that with also making money through sponsored content and stuff like that, which takes its own shape in the form of an algorithm. And so like where, where we, you know, the traditional like work may have Hallmark or GAC giving you a budget or giving you a four picture deal. It's like, yes, of course I would want that. But at the same time, I'm also focused on the amount of money I can make like doing my own stuff without having commissions taken out and having network notes and yeah. doing that. So it's all good and I'm I'm very privileged and very blessed and so like you said being here in Austin is a privilege and I'm 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 weighted with the gratitude of every day that I get to be here and not have to feel confined to those those moments that you've had to endure, you know, in Miami and in Hollywood and you deserve better. I'm really proud of you. Thank you for like, you know, taking the time to be on the show today and we definitely went down memory lane. <laughs> Susie, really though, like you're such an amazing person and I, I will continue to root for you in in Aww. in many ways. Anything you need, call me, beat me. Um <laughs> <laughs> No, and then I think it was really great to be able to really connect because when you appreciate somebody from afar and then you can actually use this kind of a, a moment to really connect, I think you know, people listening to this get to know you, but then I also get to know you. So I think that's a win-win. So so thank you, Susie. Where can we find you online and all that? Uh, you can find me on uh, Susie Abermite on Instagram and uh, Twitter. It's just Susie Abermite and uh, just catch uh, Love and Bloom coming out at the end of summer, which is really exciting. And uh, Much Ado About Christmas on GAC. So both of them will be on GAC. And if you want to get crazy, you can see... Um, the Forever Purge on HBO Max. Let's get crazy. We're going to get crazy <laughs> with Susie. Crazy. Love you, Susie. <laughs> love you. Love you. 
Vulnerable is hosted by me, Christy Carlson Romano, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham and executive produced by Brendan Rooney. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham, and our video editor is Eduardo Gamba. Follow Vulnerable wherever you listen to podcasts so you can join me every week for a vulnerable conversation. And be sure to follow Vulnerable on Instagram and TikTok at The Vulnerable Podcast. And make sure to tune in to my YouTube to watch the video version. 